already so encouraged this morning. Your singing was great. So grateful to see several people who haven't been able to see in a long time. Grateful, Dwight, you're here. I know you've been struggling with some health issues, brother, but we're praying for you. So grateful that you're here. Krista, so great to have you down from Oklahoma. So good to see you guys. It's just good to be in the presence of God's people, isn't it? And uh, I wanna draw your attention to some artwork on the wall. Uh, Robin Owis, uh, our resident artist, has created these to just remind us in picture form of the reality of Holy Week. So obviously we're at Palm Sunday today, but you can see the other things that we'll be dealing with over the next few weeks. So thank you to Robin for using your gifts uh, in that way to bless us. As a reminder, in this time of preaching, if you're comfortable taking off your mask, you're welcome to do that, or you can leave it on and we'll put it back on when we sing at the end. Do you remember the first time you heard someone get something wrong when you didn't think that that person could be wrong about anything. Do you remember that, that moment when someone you really respected, someone you really loved was wrong and you're, you're thinking, man, I, I didn't think you could be wrong about anything. And it was shocking to your system. I remember some years ago, um, my mom and I and several people from our church were on our way to a Carmen concert. That's how long ago this was. It just passed away. You know, may he rest in peace. But hey, listen, if you don't know Carmen, do yourself a favor, go listen to some of his greatest hits this week. And uh, at this age, I was kind of at that age where I thought my mom was right about everything. And generally she was. I don't really remember her being wrong about much before then. But as we were going, traveling from Monroe to Shreveport for the Carmen concert, I, I began to be worried because we didn't have tickets for this concert. I was like, mom, I don't we need tickets? And she goes, no, Jared, it's general admission, but we're gonna be there in plenty of time to get seats and get in the, the little concert venue there. And we took our time getting there. We stopped to get food as we traveled over to Shreveport. And I remember the disappointment when we drove up to this concert venue and in bright lights outside this Coliseum in Shreveport, it said, Carmen Concert sold out. I don't know what was more disappointing in that moment. The fact that I wouldn't get to hear Satan bite the dust in person <laughs> or that my mom could have gotten it so wrong. Obviously all parents get things wrong. Uh, we mess up a lot. Our children will discover that at some point. And my mom was certainly right. A whole lot more than in things that she got wrong. But you know, it's difficult when you respect someone, you love someone, and they, they kind of form the foundation of your beliefs. It's difficult to realize that, hey, occasionally they get it wrong. And it, it causes you to reconsider kind of everything else they've taught you. If, if so much of the foundation of your life is built on what they've said, if they get what, one thing wrong, what is, it, is it possible that they've got other things wrong as well? And it seems like Matthew in his gospel today is trying to address a similar situation. Now, the stakes are considerably higher as compared to a Carmen concert. And I do feel like I should apologize right now for drawing any kind of equivalency between my mom and the Pharisees. I don't mean to say that. <laughs> my mom certainly got Jesus right, and I'm grateful uh, that she did. But today... The people of God are being forced to reckon with whether or not the Pharisees got something wrong. 
We've just learned in the course of Matthew's gospel that the Pharisees not only don't see Jesus as the Messiah, but according to chapter 12, verse 14, they now want to conspire against him to destroy him. And can you imagine what a difficult moment this is for God's people? As we've learned throughout our study of Matthew's gospel, the Pharisees were highly thought of culturally. They were experts in the law. They lived in such a way that other people wanted to emulate them because they were what people thought were godly people. They, they trusted the Pharisees. They, they sought to be like them. And, and so for them to get this wrong, something this important wrong, it's like your mom saying, hey, don't trust this guy. He's an imposter. He's not the promised Messiah. And so you can see the clear dilemma for the people of God. Who's right? Who's right about Jesus? Who are we going to believe? And this morning in Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 to 21, Matthew seeks to answer this question by, by drawing our hearts to the person of Jesus and drawing our eyes to the testimony of Jesus in scripture. And here's what we will see Matthew say. Jesus is God's chosen servant who alone will bring hope to the nations. Jesus is God's chosen servant. He's a surprising servant. He's a, he's a different Messiah than maybe we expected, but he is the one who alone can bring hope to the nations. And listen, reader, audience, church, you need to get this one right. You need to get to the, the answer to this question right. And you need to trust the right authority to lead you to the right answer because men can get it wrong. But here's what we're gonna see this morning. God's word never gets it wrong. And, he, and the word of God will show us that Jesus is the Messiah. So let's see how Matthew addresses this question in our text today. Again, Matthew 12, verses 15 to 21 on the, the heels of the Pharisees conspiring against him, how to destroy him, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him. And listen to this. He healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill the prophecy spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Now again, remember, this is on the heels of what happened on the Sabbath that Brother Corey talked to us about a couple of weeks ago. As Jesus heals on the Sabbath, he makes some stunning claims about himself, essentially identifying himself as equal with God. He says, Pharisees, you don't get to define what is appropriate on the Sabbath. I do, because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I have the authority to say what's appropriate, because guess what? I created it. And the Pharisees are so mad, so Heart of heart at what Jesus is saying, they seek to remove him. This guy, Jesus, he's got to go. 
as Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience, he, he realizes there's a question that he's got, to, he's got to speak to. There's an elephant in the room. Who's right? Are the Pharisees right? The people we trust to teach us about the word of God, the people we've been shaping our lives after to please God, are they right or is Jesus right? So Matthew helps us see who is right about Jesus in two ways. He does two things to draw our our eyes to Jesus and our hearts to Jesus. Firstly, he shows us the goodness of Jesus. Hey, you're gonna wanna pay attention to this guy because he's good. And then secondly, he shows us the testimony of scripture to affirm what you are seeing is of God. Essentially to confirm the testimony of Christ, Matthew says, this guy is the Messiah. He's he's the kind of Messiah that you want. And by the way, he's the kind of Messiah that was promised. He's what you really want. Now the Pharisees are telling you, he's not what you want. No, he's who you want. And by the way, he's who God promised. So let's look at each of these things that Matthew uses, these ways that Matthew goes about answering the question of who is right about Jesus. Matthew, firstly, tries to show us the goodness of God in Jesus. He wants you to behold the goodness of Jesus. Listen, people of God, I don't know what you expected about the promised king. I don't know what you expected about the Messiah, but could you just look for a moment? Could you set aside your expectations just for a moment and could you, could you consider Jesus? Could you look at him and, and see this, this God-man who is gentle and lowly, who is promising you that his yoke is easy and his burden is light? Look at what he does as these so-called leaders that you respect and are trying to follow. Look at what he does why they conspire to kill him because of how he threatens their position, because of how he threatens their power. He leaves them so as to not escalate the moment before the right timing of God. And he heals those who follow him. Think about that. Every single person who came to Jesus, he heals. Every one of them. Jesus gives mercy And abundantly so, there seems to be no end to Christ's power, no ailment that he can't touch. And beyond that, no end to his mercy that he's desiring to use that incredible, unparalleled power for your good, for our good. Now, doesn't that sound like someone who's worthy of your attention? Doesn't it sound like someone who's reflecting the character and the nature of God? Aren't your hearts drawn to him? It seems like the hand of God is upon him in a unique way. It's not what maybe you expected, but it's what you need. There's such a beautiful, compelling combination of power and care in this Jesus. There's a a humility, an approachability in Jesus that is just captivating. Think about what Jesus is showing of himself to those of us who are in difficult positions. As we think about our, our common need as human beings, remember this gospel reality. All of us are sick. All of us are broken. 
All of us are in need of someone to save us. We are oppressed and we feel the weight of sin all around us. We need someone powerful enough to set us free, to to rescue us from this darkness. And that's gotta be a, a pretty big amount of power, right? It's a lot of power to set us free from what holds us back. And usually, in our experience, when someone has this kind of power, we don't feel comfortable approaching them, right? There's a danger in that kind of power that makes us uncomfortable. And people that we know with power, even considerably less power than what we're seeing in Jesus, they usually use that for their own advantage to further oppress others to hold on to their power. But this Jesus has more power than we have ever seen. And he's more approachable than we could have ever imagined. Let the little children come to me. I'm okay with that. Let all the sick come to anybody who has a need and needs it to be healed. Come to me and I will take care of it. Friends, this is no Wizard of Oz moment. He's not too good to be true. He's not some crazy man behind a curtain saying things that he can't deliver on. This man is everything that he's promised and more. It's as if Matthew is saying, don't you see how unique Jesus is? Aren't you drawn to him? Aren't you drawn to his beauty? Aren't you drawn to his goodness? Aren't you drawn to his mercy? Aren't you drawn to the the glory of God that is emanating from him? It just shows you the depths of the Pharisees' spiritual sickness that they are repelled by him rather than compelled to him. Jesus says, look at him, behold him. Let your heart be drawn to him. But beyond the response of your heart, Matthew says, hey, listen, we also have a measuring stick to make sure our heart is loving the right thing. And that's the word of God, scripture. We can't, only judge what is happening here by how it appears to us. We must more importantly judge Jesus based on what God has said and what he has promised about the Messiah. Because you know, at the end of the day, our hearts are wicked. They can be led astray. We can can love the wrong things. So we need to be sure, according to God's word, that our hearts are being drawn to Jesus for the right reason. That, That we're looking at the right person In Christ. So beyond showing us the goodness of Jesus, Matthew then moves to show us the testimony of Jesus in Scripture and how the prophetic word both affirms and confirms what Jesus is saying about himself. So Matthew goes back to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is writing about in the later part of his book, a chosen servant of God. And some people have have called this the suffering servant writings of the book of Isaiah. And we see them in chapters 40 through 52. And they offer some of the most basic foundations for our messianic understanding, our, our hope as it's positioned in Christ. And Matthew says, guys, look, if you go to any part of the Old Testament and you look at something that God said about the Messiah in the Old Testament, this guy, Jesus, he fulfills it. Doesn't matter where you go. Go to Zechariah. Talk about the coming king. I'm gonna talk about that later in Matthew chapter 21 when we get to, to Palm Sunday. Talk about any, anything that deals with the Messiah and Jesus fulfills it. Just look at Isaiah 42. 
1 through 4, for instance. Let's, let's remember together what Isaiah 42, 1 through 4 says, as Isaiah prophetically is speaking about God's chosen servant. Here's Matthew's translation of Isaiah 42 in his own gospel, verses 18 to 21 of Matthew 12. Behold, or behold, look. This is how you know who to look for. My servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I'm gonna put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, he will not cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and his name, and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Matthew says, just look for a moment at this one passage. It's, it's the, the longest quote I'm gonna give you from the Old Testament and my whole gospel. Just consider this, that Isaiah is giving us four clues to look for, to know who to behold as the Messiah, and Jesus checks everyone. So let's consider for a moment the four clues that Isaiah gives and how they're leading us to Jesus. Firstly, clue number one, God will evidence his love for the Messiah by placing his spirit upon him. The Messiah is gonna have the spirit of God placed upon him as evidence of the fact that he is uniquely beloved by God. Is there anything that's happened in Matthew's gospel that tells us that Jesus is this kind of person? Yeah. Chapter three, verses 16 and 17, there's this incredible moment at Jesus's baptism when God says some very incredible things about his son. As Jesus was baptized, verse 16, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God, what? Descending like a dove and coming to rest upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God declared his love for Jesus as his son and he gave his spirit to rest upon him. And we've seen the evidence of that throughout Christ's earthly ministry and the testimony of this gospel as Jesus preaches the kingdom of God and removes the effects of sin, setting things right. So clue number one, Jesus checks. Clue number two, Isaiah says, the, the servant of God, chosen servant of God will be a silent servant. This Servant of God will not quarrel or cry aloud. He will not impose his authority when he comes as a Messiah, at least not in the way that we would expect. He will not come demanding allegiance to the force of his voice, even though he could. He will simply invite people to himself, saying, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. The humility of this servant will be overwhelming. And let's just consider Jesus for a moment. Think about the day we're thinking about today. Palm, or yeah, Palm Sunday. Think about what Jesus deserved as he went on that donkey into Jerusalem, right? Think about what, what Solomon got that we read, the very 
beginning of our service in 1 Kings 1. He's, he's riding the cult of David to go ascend the throne, to take the kingdom that's rightfully his. And while Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, the city of David as the son of David or the, the seat of the kingdom of, of God's people as the son of David, he's not going to sit on a throne. He's not being led in as a king. He's being led in as a sheep that's being led to slaughter, a lamb. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And think about what he'll endure in the next five days as we step into Holy Week. You know, when triumphal kings come in, they have armies behind them. Jesus could have called down armies of angels to secure his place, his throne. At any moment, he could have voiced his authority and commanded the circumstances that he found himself in to change. He could have removed himself from the cross and immediately exacted justice on those who persecuted him, but he remained silent. In fact, the only shout that he gave was to signal him giving up his life rather than sustaining it. Jesus could have commanded the whole of creation to bow. And listen, one day he will. But for this time and this moment, he's approaching the word of God in accordance with his design and he remains silent. Now it's true that when the Pharisees attack, Jesus does correct, but when they refuse to repent, he withdraws, awaiting for the right moment and declaring upon them his judgment as he removes his presence. And really there's nothing more to even say because Jesus knows that victory is gonna come in a different way. His power and authority are rooted in something greater than the sheer force of his voice, unlike so many other leaders. Clue number two. Jesus checks. Clue number three, Isaiah says that the true Messiah will care for the marginalized. And Matthew brings to our mind here from Isaiah some of the most beautiful language in scripture as he describes for us the kind of care that this chosen servant will give to God's people. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. Now, a bruised reed is obviously a plant that's been injured, probably, probably pretty severely injured. And a smoldering wick is a wick that has been ignored, cast aside, not cared for. And while the world may get rid of such plants, while the world may throw away those kind of candles, God does not and his servant will not. Think about what we would do in this situation. Think about what normally happens to broken plants or useless candles. It's just easier to throw them away, right? Jordan and I right now are having a conversation about some plants in our front yard because they weren't made to withstand the deep freeze that we had in Texas a few weeks back. And some of them are showing signs of life and we're grateful, but some of them look pretty dead. So do we... We try to trim them back. Do we try to spray them with some, some feed? Do we hope and care for them? 
so they can come back to life? Or is it just easier to dig them up and throw them away? It's just easier, right? It's not worth the time. It's not worth the effort. Got a candle. Hopefully we've all stocked up on candles because who knows in Texas when our electricity will go out. But the wick, you can't even see the wick. It's just burned down and the, the wax has covered it up. I'll just go to Bath and Body Works. I'll just go to Walmart and just get a new candle. It's not worth digging in the wax and sharpening the wick. It's not worth all that trouble. I'll just get something new. And do you know that we treat people like that? If they're broken, if they're wounded, if they're in difficult places, yeah, it's just not worth it. I don't, I don't wanna take the time to help them get back on their feet. I don't wanna take the time to help them find a way out of sin. I don't, I don't wanna take the time to help them deal with their hurt. I'll just go find somebody else to be my friend. I'll just go find somebody else to walk with in community. It's just not worth it. Aren't you glad God doesn't see us that way? Aren't you glad that his chosen servant doesn't look about, upon us and our brokenness and think, man, it's just not worth it but that he came to care for us. When, when Jesus sees the broken, when Jesus sees the mistreated, when Jesus sees the oppressed, when Jesus sees the sick, he sees the damaged, he says, you're worth the work. In fact, this servant is so good, he's drawn to us. And if we come to him, he wants to heal us. And the evidence of that is right here in this passage. When most people would turn toward the powerful, Jesus withdraws from the powerful to heal the ones that the powerful rejected. What a beautiful picture of God's love and care through his chosen servant. Clue number three, Jesus checks. Clue number four, Isaiah says, the true Messiah will offer hope to the nations. Now this one's a, a bit trickier where we sit in the, the gospel of Matthew because primarily to this point, Jesus' ministry has been to the people of Israel and the region of Galilee, but that will change because the more complete Israel's rejection becomes of Jesus, the more his attention will turn to other nations and he will form a new people for himself bound in a new covenant made by his blood. So in many respects, Matthew chapter 12 is a transitional chapter because as Jesus sets his eyes toward Jerusalem, he's also directing his gaze to the ends of the earth. So by the end of Matthew's gospel, he's saying this, these words in Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, not of one nation, but all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Clue number four, Jesus checks. What your heart is drawn to in Jesus is of God. And the testimony of scripture makes that clear. Jesus is the promised Messiah and he's the one you want. If you reject him, Jesus will withdraw his presence from you as well and you will face 
judgment at the moment when God decides. But if you come to him, he will heal you. It's pretty clear the Pharisees were wrong, really wrong. And the depth of their rejection of Jesus reveals that they got no business leading you because they're leading you further away from the heart of God rather than toward him. So reader, listener, see Jesus for who he truly is. He is merciful and he will use his unparalleled power for your good. Come to him and you will find the healing you've been longing for. And you're gonna be glad the Pharisees are wrong. Because the Messiah you got is better than you could have ever imagined. Now friends, how should we respond today to these incredible truths? How should we respond to the testimony of Matthew who was with Jesus, who fell in love with Jesus as he he walked with him, and the testimony of scripture that affirms the witness of Christ. Firstly, see the beauty of Jesus today. See him as he is, not as you want him to be, not as you thought he was. See See him as the picture that he's presented of himself. Be drawn to him, come to him. See the compassion of Christ, that he wants you to come to him. And see the power of Christ, that he actually can do something about what ails you. He's the perfect balance of power and mercy, a bruised reed he will not break. He will care for. Many of you came in today, you feel pretty bruised. Many of you came in today, you feel pretty neglected. Many of you think, hey, if God knew me really, he'd just want to throw me away. I'm not worth the time. I want you to hear me this morning. That may be how people treat you. That may be how the world treats you. That is not how God will treat you. If you come to him, that's not how Jesus sees you. He's not gonna cast you away. He's gonna take the time to restore you to health. He's not gonna discard you. He's gonna walk with you to build you up into his image, to present you holy and righteous before his father as his bride. A good groom doesn't neglect his wife, cherishes her and nourishes her. And that's exactly what Jesus will do and he can. You may think you're beyond repair. You may think the brokenness in your life is beyond repair. You may think no matter how much he wants to work, there's nothing he can do. Reject that lie as it is from the enemy. Jesus' power is great enough to fix what ails you and he is merciful and that he desires to do it. That's a good Messiah, isn't it? That's That's a good Jesus to love. See the beauty of Jesus today. Let your heart be drawn to him and then let the testimony of scripture confirm it. Secondly, trust in the word of God above any other authority. Men and women can get it wrong. And listen, sometimes they do so deliberately to protect their own interests, to protect their own power. But here's something you can rely on. The word of God always testifies to the word of God. The word of scripture will always testify to the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. 
The whole Bible is pointing us to Jesus. And listen, anybody that is put over the people of God in a position of authority, that doesn't operate first under this authority and the authority of Christ, they're not worth following. If they're not teaching you to look to the word, which testifies to the word, they're not operating in the authority of God. You always go to the Bible. You trust the Bible. And here's my promise to you. It will always point you to Jesus. Trust that. That your heart be drawn to Jesus. Make sure it's the right Jesus. Not just a Jesus someone made up. And believe that he's the Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God who came to take, this, take away the sins of the world. And finally, Rejoice in the hope that the gospel has been given to us. Aren't you glad that the eye of Jesus moved to the ends of the earth? I don't know if we have any Jewish people in here. I praise the Lord if we do, but I'm a Gentile. Any other Gentiles in the house? And I'm so grateful the author of salvation has been extended to all people and all nations. And that the work of Christ is big enough and powerful enough to save all of those who call upon his name, both now and to the end of the age. And I look forward to the day and we can rejoice when this king will come back to take us home. And here's a promise. He ain't gonna be coming on a donkey next time. He's gonna be coming on a white horse, full of power. And he will ascend finally the throne that is rightfully his. And he will rule over all creation, heaven, earth, new Jerusalem. And his rightful place as the son of David, the son of God, our Messiah. That's a good thing to hope in, isn't it, church? Who's right about Jesus? Are you right about Jesus? Wherever you are, would you spend some time in prayer before the Lord? Just bow your heads, asking him to help you know how to respond. Maybe today for the first time, your heart's been drawn to Jesus as you see him being the perfect balance of power and mercy, as you recognize that the salvation you need, the healing you need can only come through him. And maybe you wanna to respond to that in repentance and belief, giving your life to Jesus, being brought in to this new people that he's forming for himself. Here's what the Bible says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. Essentially, all that means is if you will say that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did what he said he would do and give your life to him, you will be right with him and right with God. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to get right with Jesus today. Maybe you need to start answering that question a little bit differently than you have in the past. Who's right about Jesus? Are you right about Jesus? And for those of us who are in Christ, can we just rejoice today? Can we give thanks today that Jesus came in humility to take away our sins, to save us, to heal us? All those who come to him, he's willing, he's able to take away our sin. What a beautiful thing to celebrate today. 
Can we thank God for the testimony of his word that draws us to Jesus as the rightful Messiah, the only person who could do what we needed to be done? And can we hope for that day when our glorious King will return and he will establish justice in victory once and for all? What a glorious day that will be. Father, would you be with us today? Help us to respond in a way that honors you. God, we want to be right about you. We don't want to proclaim Hosanna today and five days later proclaim crucify him. We don't want to proclaim today, give me Jesus and in five days proclaim, give us Barabbas. We want to see you for who you are. We want to give our lives to you because you are unlike any other we've seen. We want to worship you today because of that and await the day you will come as king, the king you already are and the kingdom you've already established we fully realized and we will be with you forever because you are a good king who uses your power, unparalleled power for our good. We praise you today because of it. In the name of Jesus, amen. You stand and let's respond in singing, Pastor Kurt.